Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family, if you are new in the Fresno area and looking for a church to fellowship and to grow, we invite you to come and study God's word with us. If you have a Bible or you don't have one or an iPhone, would you boot it up at this time? If not, look on with somebody next to you. And everybody who is able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of God's holy word. Last time I'll ask you to do this and then you can have your seat. Exodus 17, I want to visit a very familiar passage of scripture that I had the privilege of preaching several times here, but it's time to preach it again. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. For tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the mountain. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar that day and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or in the Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi. For he said, The Lord has sworn, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn to that good-looking neighbor next to you and just look at him in the eye. Tell him, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Today, my pastor, my pastor on his campus, on his campus wants, to wants to talk to you about how to get victory, to get victory over your Amalekites. Amen. You may be seated. How to get victory over your Amalekites. New Beginnings, we're celebrating eight years today. And while we are glad to have the opportunity to be a thriving church in the desert location, I stopped by to tell you today that you still have a lot of work to do. In fact, as a Christian, I'm still sometimes amazed at how much of the Christian life is both a battle and a blessing. See, up to this point in our text, Israel had not had to fight, but the Lord had did all of their fighting for them. But now in this text, God goes silent in the background, and Israel has to now step up and fight for themselves. Doesn't mean that God wasn't with them. It just simply means that now God chose to allow them to fight on their own. Tell somebody, someday you got to grow up. There was a time where daddy or mama could handle all your bullies. Come on, talk to me. But once you become mature in Christ, some battles you got to fight on your own. And so it is with the children of God today. Listen to this. Sometimes God steps in and does all the fighting for you. And sometimes he leaves the hard work for you to do. Am I talking to you today? We can also learn from this text today that the enemies of the Israelites, watch this, they were what you call distant cousins. They're called Amalekites because they were descendants of Esau, which was Jacob's brother. Does that make sense? And they illustrate for us what it looks like to have opposition from somebody you know. 
I'm coming down your road today. Look, as relatives, the Amalekites were related to the Israelites. They had the same family heritage and lineage, but yet they grew up as enemies. Here it is, here it is. They can almost be a picture of an internal battle in your own flesh. Sometimes the life of the believer has its greatest battle or the greatest enemy to the believer is not most times the world or the devil. Sometimes it's you. Y'all in here? If the devil never bothered you or if the world never threw obstacles, some of us would trip over our own flesh. Tell your neighbor, you my enemy, you my enemy. Can I open some more of this text? What a trip, man. The Amalekites, the greatest enemy to the Israelites in this text. But so sometimes our flesh can be our greatest enemy. And on this journey, we oftentimes oppose ourselves and sometimes have fights within our own flesh and within our own family. I just said something right there. Somebody can go in their mind's eye right now and think about a cousin you got problems with. Or family member that's always having drama. Come on, talk to me. Right? Or, or that thing you struggle with in your own heart. Can I say some more? This text is powerful in that Israel was delivered from bondage from Egypt. And they're on their way now to the promised land. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've outlasted Pharaoh's many attacks. And now on their way to the promised land, they still have more battles to fight. Can I park the car and waddle right there? Here's all I'm trying to say. Now that Jesus has whooped sin and death, has washed you in his blood, has made you a child of the most high God, put you on a track to the promised land. We're going to heaven, somebody. Come on, talk to me. But on our journey from earth to heaven, we still got to fight. Am I talking to you right there? And your fight sometimes is going to be with your own self. Now, why is this message so pertinent to me today is because as I try to lead a congregation, sometimes I recognize my opposition don't come from the outside. My opposition comes from the Can I tell you why? Because people on the no, on the are fighting with their own selves. Somebody looking at me right now. It ain't that you mad at the preacher. It ain't that you mad at your churches. It's I got issues. I got issues. Some of y'all quiet. You better say amen so they know you human. Amen. Amen. Everybody in here got issues. Amen. I almost say start pulling them out your pocket right now. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we don't like to put our issues on display, but we're going to learn today how to handle the Amalekites. How they handle Amalekites. Number one, we want to talk about, we want to talk about Moses and them, but we want to look at the pot, the plan, the people, and the power. They're up there for you. Verse 8, if you got it, say, I got it, Pastor. The Bible says in verse 8, now Amalek, that's the enemy, he came and he fought with Israel in Rephidim. When we come to this first verse, here we discover we see a new enemy, rather, emerge to do God's people harm. Here it is. Amalek wants to hurt them. And he comes from out of nowhere in the desert to start a battle against them. Some say that the Amalekites, Reverend Tate, were nomads that lived in the desert south of Canaan. So before they got into the promised land where they were headed, the desert people came out of nowhere and tried to ambush them. I'm talking about that inner you now. Am I making sense here? You own your way to glory. And just when you think you got it made, that enemy will come out. Come on, talk to me and try to prevent you from living and going to the place where God has destined you to go. 
the Amalekites apparently were trying to dislodge Israel from walking through their territory. Here it is. They were angry at them because they had a destination. And so in their anger, they tried to, yes, block them, to destroy them, to do them harm. No matter whoever they were, they, they represent a good picture for us today of, yeah, what the devil does, the world does, but mainly the flesh does. In my dissertation I'm writing about, wrote about spiritual warfare, in my discovery I found out the devil is bad, but he can be tamed. He's on a leash, amen? The, the world is bad, and we understood that because Jesus said the world was going to be against you. But the more I started to study about spiritual warfare, I found more references to the flesh as one of the greatest enemies to the child of God. Can I park the car and preach it like I feel it? Somebody looking at me right now. The reason why you have not been able to be all the things God has ordained you to be is because you in the way of yourself. The reason why you can't do the things that God has set for you is because your flesh makes excuses. Can I, I know I'm right right there. Your flesh don't want to be uncomfortable. Your flesh don't want to suffer. Your flesh don't want to submit. Your flesh don't want to sacrifice. Your flesh does not want to be what God has called you to be. And you can't blame it on the devil. You can't blame it on the world. You got to blame it on yourself. Come on in here. You might as well come on in here. Your problem is it ain't that God ain't provided. He's giving you everything you need in Christ. That felt good right there. Number two, it ain't that the devil can whoop you because he's greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Your problem is your flesh in the way. Who's my flesh? Your fallen nature. God has given you everything you need to excel, to succeed, to be great for him in the earth. But if your flesh has the last word, it's going to look for excuses why you can't be great for God. It's going to make excuses for why you can't trust God for this. It's going to make excuses for why you can't believe God for that. So as the Israelites are passing through the desert, the Amalekites pop up out of nowhere to block their journey. Isn't there something right here, y'all? When I look at this text, Brother BJ, and as we study the book of Exodus this morning, we can discover that God's purpose in human history, watch this now, is not to give us easy blessings. Y'all with me? But it's to give you opportunities to fight for spiritual victories. I need somebody to zone in for a minute. God's design for you is not to give you easy blessings but to give you opportunities to fight for spiritual victories. Ding, 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 ding. Come on, talk to me. Our problem is we'll never get the victory because we won't fight for it. We, we, want, we always want it given to us. Somebody hear me. Please hear me. We, we, we always waiting on God to give it to us. But if you don't fight for the victory... After God has already ordained your path and called you to be great, right? Then you'll never see it. I said a couple weeks ago, life is like being in a fight. And sometimes we live it in between rounds. Does that make sense? And while you're in the round, in between the rounds, you're listening to your trainer. Who is the spirit of the living God giving you instructions on what to do when the bell rings? <laughs> Am I making sense here? But if you don't follow the instructions, you're going to get your gluteus maximus whooped in the ring. And it ain't the trainer's fault. <laughs> Come on, listen to me. He's trying to give you instructions. Oh, all right, all right. Look, look, look at the text. Look at the text. Verse 9 says, 
Amalek, verse 8, came to fight. Verse 9, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men. Watch this now. And go out, fight with Amalek. You should circle that word. For tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Can I work right here, family? I notice right here, Brother Nichols, that here we discover that Moses as a leader, he moves decisively against the enemy. Here's what I mean, Brother Staley. He doesn't wait to respond to the enemy's attack. In other words, he mobilizes quickly those that he knows, understands the warfare, and who can engage before it is tragically too late. I got some more. Moses doesn't even ask God what to do in this situation. He already know what to do. Can I push my case? Before in Egypt, God had to tell Moses do everything. Throw your rod down, it's going to turn into a snake. Strike the dirt, they're going to turn into lice. Tell Pharaoh I said this. Do this, Moses. Do that, Moses. Moses got to the Red Sea. Pharaoh and then were on the Red Sea. Y'all remember, right? Moses didn't know what to do. He started crying, and God said, why are you crying, man? Stretch out the rod. I didn't did it for you ten times. I'm in with me here. I'm on somebody's street. Come on in here. But this time, when he get past the Red Sea and the new enemy comes, he don't even have to consult God. Can I tell you why? He running on his track record. Who am I looking at today? Listen here. Moses takes the initiative to use what he's been given by God for the battle on the way to the promised land. What, 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 what does Moses have then, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Number one, Moses has with him his position and his authority. Tuck that away, tuck that away. Number two, he has with him in this battle a track record of God's faithfulness. Number three, he has faith that God can defeat his enemy because God had already proven it before. Can I say some more? Number four, he has, Brother Speedy, the rod of God in his hand, which is a picture of God's authority. Moses understands that he has been in this situation before and his prior experience in serving God is now got to be used in this critical time of his leadership. Isn't that good? What a track record. I'm looking at you today because you're just like Moses. You done been through some skirmishes with God. You got the track record. You know God will deliver you. You got the authority of his word. Come on, talk to me. You know what he's going to do. You know who you are in Christ. The position that you hold. You got something when the enemy come against you. You're not defenseless. Am I talking to you here? You just got to be decisive. Get up off your knees. Quit crying and ask God why. And use what he gave you. Tap somebody. Just tell them, use what he gave you. Use what he gave you. Second thing in this text I noticed, Sister Wilson, is that God, yeah, he raises up men. Mm, I'm talking to the brothers now. To meet their challenge. What do you mean? He tells Moses, or, or, or he has sent men around Moses, and Moses taps Joshua. God called men to assist Moses in battling the men of Amalek. God calls for Joshua, who automatically assumes the mantle of leadership. Can I say some more right there? 
this role that he's given men is critical. Ladies, I need you to hear me right now. God ain't never called you to fight for your man. He ain't never called you to lead the family. He ain't never called you to lead in society. He's called the man to do it because you're precious and sacred to God. He's giving you a covering. That's how much he loves you. But when you believe the hype of the world, you want to get from under the covering and do you. When God has given you everything you need and then giving you a man to take care of you. Why you want to mess that up? That's crazy. The battle, the Amalekites are coming to attack the Israelites and God raises up men to defend the women and the children. I know y'all mad. But let me tell you, let me tell you about Wilsonology here. I like my woman soft and fine. I, I want Sister Wilson's hand manicured. I don't want her knuckles rough as mine. Come on, talk to me. If somebody got to get a black eye, it's got to be me. Come on, talk to me. I'm counting on her eyes to be pretty. I don't want her fighting. I want her switching. Can I, can I just, can I let my hair down? If I allow her to fight for me, she's stripping me of something. God made me rough and tumble for a reason that I might be the man he's calling me to be. And ladies, when you take that from your husband, you make them switch. So when you keep stripping them of taking care of you, when you strip him from being the provider, when you strip him or demasculate him, what you get is what you got. I'm in here now. God called Moses to lead the children. Moses calls Joshua, choose us some men. Come on, talk to me that can go out and fight with Amalek. Why? Because the Amalekites were ruthless. These are killers. Why do we want to put our women in harm's way? Good God Almighty. When I look at this text, I'm more determined now than ever, brothers, to surround myself with Joshua's. Y'all ain't feeling me. I'm looking for Joshua's. Men of integrity that can hold their posts and keep their pants up. Come on, talk to me. I'm looking for Joshua's who are willing to stand for God and protect their families. I'm looking for Joshua's that can come alongside. Joshua's faithful. Joshua's the man in the second chariot. Joshua's got Moses' back. Come on, talk to me. He's a man who could be depended on. If I can't count on you, don't expect to ride with me. In a war, you need ride or die. Okay, I'm, I'm giving y'all prison knowledge now, right? That we in a war. Come on, talk to me, brothers. Come on, talk to me, brothers. Here it is. Where the brothers at? Where the brothers at? We need men that'll come alongside other men that'll stand in the gap and say, I got you. And I got your babies too. I'm not going to let nothing happen to your queen or mine. Let me just put this in here. Ladies, if you ain't got a man who look like that, leave him alone. He ain't worth his salt. Pound for pound, you can't trust him. Am I making sense right here? All I'm trying to say, y'all, is every Moses needs a Joshua. Somebody who will be committed to their marriage. Quit this foolishness of divorcing. Trying to swap one for another. That ain't Bible. That's the Amalekites. Every Moses needs a Joshua. Somebody who will take the initiative and lead in the battle. 
Somebody that will prepare other troops to strike out and protect the family. Joshua was a leader who could be trusted, a leader who, who had been watched, a leader, yeah, who patterned himself after a great warrior. Look at what Moses says. Look at what Moses says in the plans. He says, Joshua, get some men who will go out and fight. Then look what he said. Tomorrow, y'all see that? Moses says, I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. When you come to this point, Reverend Tong, what you see, what you see, son, is Moses' strategy for the congregation. He got a plan. Here it is, Jackson. Number one, elect leadership that knows warfare. And then pick the place where the fight's going to happen. Somebody missed that. Moses chooses the place where he's going to fight Amalek. He don't let Amalek pick the place. You got to pick the place where you're going to fight the enemy. Don't let him put in a fight in your house. Don't let the enemy come in your yard and try to tell your kids, no, we're going to fight this battle out there. You let him get inside, sometime it's too late. Number three, guess what Moses does? He identifies what he will be doing during the fight. Y'all catch that there? He, he will be positioned to do battle on a higher level, on top of the hill, while Joshua's fighting on the bottom of the hill. Look, look. He's going to fight with the rod in his hand. Okay, let me, give you, let me give you some insight to this. This is what I call the perfect picture of spiritual warfare. Because warfare with the Christian is fought in two realms. It's fought in the supernatural realm, the invisible realm, and it's fought in the earthly plane. Stay with me. And if you're going to be victorious in this battle, you got to be able to fight on both levels. Notice what Moses says. Moses understands his authority in God. He also understands that if Amalek is going to be whooped, it's going to be because I've got the rod of God in my hand, number two. And number two, physically somebody is in the valley whooping him. In other words, the battle is both physical and supernatural. I wish I had a listener right there. See, it's important. It's important to know, brothers, that you have to be physically able to whoop the enemy in the valley. But you got to be spiritually aware of how he fights and where your authority comes from. So it's not just enough to be a man's man. You have to be a man's man and a spiritual leader. Just said something right there. Some woman said, I'm looking for a man. That's good. I'm looking for a man's man, Pastor. That's good. But don't you bring him in my office if he ain't spiritual. Because what you're going to end up doing is marrying somebody that don't understand how to get victory and spiritual warfare. Am I talking to you? Look, look, Moses is going to fight. On the top level, Joshua and the men are going to fight in the valley, keeping the enemy away from the kids. Why the rod, Pastor? Well, the rod that Moses used to defeat Pharaoh is a picture of God's authority and his power in the hand of the servant of God. Now, with the authority of God, the servant has the ability to not only help himself, but to help the entire family, the entire congregations, and everybody else to be victorious in the battle. Let me, let me bring it home. New Beginnings, as your pastor, my job is to fight on the hill every week. Every week when I stand here, I'm engaging 
in warfare. The warfare of your souls trying to plead with you and plead on behalf of God, right? That you watch out for stuff that wants to destroy you. And then in life groups, come on, help me somebody. The Joshua's are in position to put those tools in your hand and make you formidable to fight for yourself. Isn't that some y'all? So you see the plan of the strategy of Moses right here. Let's look at the people right here. Verse 10. You got, if you got 10, somebody say, I got it, Reverend. I got it. The Bible says in verse 10, Joshua did as Moses said to him. And he fought with Amalek. And Moses, watch this now, Aaron and her, they went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Amalek prevailed, or rather that he, Israel, prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Y'all see that? Okay, let me unpack it. Here's what we, we call family. is a picture of a covenant community fighting together. Can I say some more? They are covenant in that they are men who love one another. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. They are men who have one another's backs. Uh, they ain't sometimey. They ain't fickle. They don't go with the wind. They got each other in season and out of season. They in covenant community with each other. And then you see, then you see an unlikely pair Come and join them. One is named Aaron, and the other is named Her. Let me unpack this. Aaron is the high priest, Moses' brother. He was the one that God used to talk for Moses in front of Pharaoh. Because you remember Moses said, I can't talk to people. He was making excuses, right? God said, I'm going to send you a brother. He's going to talk for you, but you going, Moses. Am I making sense here? Aaron shows up in the battle. Now, this is, this is different because priests don't fight in the Old Testament. Their primary task was to intercede for people, to offer the sacrifice, and to help the functions of the temple. That was their Levitical order. But here you see Aaron go with Moses into the battle up on the hill ah okay I'll come back to it and her comes with Aaron now together these three make up a picture that you and I need to pay close attention to they've never been assembled together before in the exodus first of all her his name is only mentioned three times in the Old Testament. And every time it's talking about a different her. Here it is. This her, we don't know nothing about. He don't have a title. He don't have a position. He ain't never come forward in the community before. Well, what is he doing in the fight? Scripture don't say. But what we can see is this. God put something in him. That makes him say, I need to stand with my brothers in the midst of this battle. Can I say it like I feel it? Her don't have a title because her don't need a title. Some of the brothers, we, we ain't going to do nothing until we get a title. I ain't got a title. I ain't deacon. I ain't reverend. So... I ain't going to do nothing. Well, stay where you at. I'm looking for the brother that say, hey, where they at, Reverend? I don't need a title. I ain't got to call me janitor. I ain't got to call me board member. I ain't got to call me deacon. I ain't got to call me Reverend. Just call me to the battle. Can I say some more? 
I was looking at these two in the text, and you know who they remind me of? Somebody say, who, Pastor? Goodness and mercy. In the midst of the war. Yeah, yeah, goodness goes with you and helps you in the battle. But you need mercy in case the battle start going wrong. Can I say some more? Goodness and mercy help us to stand in the darkest of fights, Sister Gray. They are the trusted companions in a lonely position. Listen, if you ain't never been in a battle, then you don't know how bad you need goodness. If you ain't never been in a battle, Kimmy, you don't know how bad you need some mercy. Come on, talk to me. And if you ain't never been in leadership, you don't know what it's like to have goodness and mercy on your side. My good God Almighty. Is it just me or I'm feeling pretty good up here? I just... Look, 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 verse 11. Verse 11 says, and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Look it. As long as Moses was under the authority of the rod, the people of God were victorious. Y'all hear me right there? Aaron and her are there keeping watch with him. Joshua's in the battle down the hill fighting. But when the man of God's arms get tired, his hands come down, calamity happens to the people of God. Can I say some more? But guess what? Calamity, yes, even though it comes, it comes while goodness and mercy are present. In other words, it's possible for you to be in the center of God's will. Be the man or woman that God has called to a particular ministry. And you get tired in your flesh. And when you get tired in your flesh, calamity will come in like a wave. Am I making sense here? That's why you need somebody. Come on, talk to me, y'all. If you ain't got a friend, find a friend. If you, you don't, just don't get one, get two. Amen, get two. Two good friends that can help you when calamity comes your way. Can I say some more? Aaron and her are watching as Moses' arms get weak. And they start to notice that when the men of God, under the rod of God's authority, get tired, Joshua and the men that are fighting for them start to lose ground. And I don't know which one it was, but one of them said, did you see that? We need to do something. Can I park the car right there? They didn't have to make a committee. Didn't have to let Moses tell them what to do. They were observant to what was happening in the community. Here it is. Nobody said, well, I ain't Moses, so it ain't my problem. They saw it as when one of us get hurt. But when one of us is victorious, all of us are victorious. And I don't know which one it was, but somebody said, quick, we need to do something. The Bible says that they got a rock and they sat him on it. Can I park the car right there? You know what I noticed in eight years? I'm more tired today than I was when I started. I can't sleep at night. Sister Wilson had to slip me my candy, amen, my candy to help me sleep. I went to the doctor this week, and I'm finna let y'all have it. I'm putting put it out here. And I stood on the scale. Y'all ever been there? And that little bitty nurse looked like she could be my grandchild. She kept pushing that bottom thing. I want y'all to stop. It's fine where it is. And then she started running out of scale. 
I wanted to say, you know it's broke, quit playing. <laughs> and she said to me, Pastor, you at 285 pounds. I want to say, wait a minute, do that again. Take all the stuff on my pockets, amen. I went in, the first thing the doctor said to me, you got to lose some weight. I'm unhealthy now. And I know what it's from. It's from the battle. I'm fatigued. I'm a former college athlete. But I sweat now just walking from the car. I'm so glad we moved. I ain't got stairs no more in the house. Amen. Like, Woo. Can I say some more? My schedule is mad. I've been telling you for years about the work at the university to have 3,700 students and 1,000 staff and faculty. And then I run from here to the church to pastor. And I can't sleep at night. And sometimes my hours are so long I'm eating the wrong stuff. Are you with me here just to get something in me? Come on, y'all playing like y'all all fitness gurus. Come on, y'all know. You know. I'm weary. But here's what I notice. When my hands start to go down, calamity happens in here. I start watching your marriages fall apart. I start watching your kids go to jail. Quit coming to church. You know why? I'm too tired to check on them. And so what we need now more than ever is I need some errands and I need some hers. Some people, even in my tiredness, that'll just prop me up so I can stay under the authority of the word. Why? Because if I stay in the text, you can whoop Amalek. But if I ain't in the text, you ain't got nothing to fight with. Y'all listening to me? I don't know how to make it no more urgent to you than to support your spiritual leader. I can't make it no more urgent to you to support the fathers of your homes. Fathers to support the wives in your families. I can't make it no more urgent. Listen, you need to get around somebody and be the support while they need it. All I'm trying to say is his hands got heavy. And it wasn't an easy fight. It was a continuous struggle. I got to get out of here. And that fight was going all day long. From the morning down to the evening. Can I tell you why? Amalek was ruthless. Brother didn't sleep. Just like your flesh. Ain't your flesh ruthless? Ain't your flesh ruthless? I can't, I gotta, gotta keep going till I got unanimity here. Ain't your flesh ruthless? Your flesh should be talking to you in worship. Here it is. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God. God, she fine. Oh, he smells so good. That's your flesh. Your flesh can act up right in the middle of the sermon. Why he got to preach like that today? Don't he know we got guests in here? I wonder if we're going to have anybody to stay back and help me pick up these chairs. That's the flesh. Y'all in here now? Y'all with me? It's ruthless. Okay, okay, I need some, somebody need a better example. Ever been praying? On your knees in the position? And you having a good old conversation with God? And then that thing, that thing, that, that thing you used to wrestle with come to your mind? 
you know, that thing, your thing, whatever your thing was, amen, that problem, right? The flesh is ruthless, I'm telling you. And the flesh was dominating or is dominating. Amalek wanted to kill the children of Israel. And so if they were going to be victorious, Moses had to stay under the authority of the word. Here it is. Joshua was trying to win the battle on behalf of the people. He was counting on Moses to stay under the authority of the word. Let me get out of here. <coughs> I want you to know this. When they found the stone, <coughs> Joshua got victorious. When he got in position, they undergirded Moses' efforts. Bible says in verse 13, and I'm closing, that Joshua defeated Amalek. Uh -huh. Did you see that right there? Yeah. It didn't say Moses defeated Amalek. Yeah. Who got the victory? Joshua, Joshua got the victory. Tuck, tuck that in a pen. You put a pen right there. I'm going to come back to it on my way out. Then God said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. Write down what happened. And here's what I want you to tell him, that I'm going to utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And so Moses built an altar, hey, and called his name Jehovah Nishi. The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn. I'm through when I tell you this. God, yeah, placed the authority on Moses and gave Joshua the ability. Moses doesn't get the credit for the victory because God is trying to teach Moses about humility. Moses gets no success or, or no, no credit for the success of the battle. But what he does get is the opportunity to worship God in the place of the victory. Can I say some more? He built an altar at the place where God gave him victory. But he says, God said, write it down in the book for Joshua. Why? God is already working on Moses' replacement. Can I say some more? Nobody want to cry more than I do to release my son to go serve in another church. Are you with me here? But God has me in a place where I have to send him out so that God can allow him to get victory. My task is to just build an altar and say, this is the place. Well, God watched over my family. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. Are you with me here? Come on in. Are you with me here? We've got to be ready to release our kids. We can't hold on to them forever. Once you've trained them, prepared them, and equipped them, you got to send them. And so it is with a lot of you. Some of you must go. You've been taught. There are churches to be planted. There are schools to be started. There are hospitals to be built. There are countries that are broken. There are neighborhoods that are tore up. Somebody must go. Somebody must be the Joshua in this generation, Manuel, to go and fight on behalf of those who can't defend themselves. But the Moses has to stay in place and worship God for the victory that he gives to you. Well, he wrote it down. And we got proof, Alani, because we're reading it today. I'm so glad he wrote it down, that he was going to do it. And he would blot out Amalek from the earth. I got to close when I tell you this. Jesus is a type of Moses. Greater than Moses. But you can look at Moses and see a type of Christ. And guess what God did for Jesus? Sent him on top of a hill. 
to fight on behalf of those who couldn't defend themselves. And Jesus, just like Moses, under the authority, hey, of the word of God, stayed in place. Even while the enemy tacked his body, nails in his hand, crown of thorns on his head, nails in his feet, but he stayed under the authority of the word. Can I say something right there? Because he stayed under the authority of the word, you and I are able to be redeemed. Because he stayed under the authority of the word, stretched out on the old rugged cross, you and I have a right to the tree of life. He died on that hill outside of Jerusalem. He took the sting of death out of the grave and victory from the dead early Sunday morning to rise again back to life. Am I right right there? To make us victorious on our hill. I got to leave you now. But be Joshua in a wicked generation. Be a Moses for your family. And emulate Christ in all that you say and do. And all God's people said. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Eternal God, our Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being your children. Thank you for teaching us how to get victory over the Amalekites. Thank you for the practical lessons that apply to our lives and know oh, how we saw ourselves in this text. Lord, give us victory over our flesh. Give us victory over our fallen nature. Help us to stay under the authority of your word and to be covenant-keeping brothers and sisters to come alongside one another, strengthen and support each other. We need you, Lord. We need you. Father, I pray today for the one who is here and they don't have a personal relationship with you. I pray that you would open their eyes. You would draw them to yourself. Give them everlasting life by faith or confessing, rather, their sins to you and believing by faith that you have everlasting life awaiting for them. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody here with your eyes closed, your hair bows, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal intimate relationship with him, the Bible says that God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This call, this challenge, this, this gift is free. Jesus said, he who has the Son has life, but he who has not the Son has not life. My prayer is that you would ask him for life today. If you're here and you'd like to get to know him, if you'll just raise your hand, I want to recognize you and pray a prayer with you. 